0: my book on the grand biocentric design
1: oh yeah how is it
0: I think you were the one that referred the one recommended I might want to check it out didn't you
1: yeah but I, I probably could have found it online if you ordered it but sorry.
0: yeah I like to There's certain books I like to have so I can keep going back and forth and
1: yeah, let life it life life life?
0: really soak in.
1: How, how do you like well, life I,
0: life? I just opened the pa- I just opened the package. All right, Came well. in the mail today.
1: Anything new?
0: That's the only thing. We're rushing to get this it's house built, Amos has to take it has a trip to take, so
1: did you, you, did you get answer it done the emails before
0: he takes off
1: did you answer the emails yet or no yeah try, try to do it no. every day if you can if you can try to do it every day and then also uh if you can like let's start trying to study like at least twice a day if you can but but any other thoughts it no. are you ready or oh, are you gonna yeah. move back to to Malibu or
0: oh yeah. It, we
1: haven't decided that yet. <laughs> what do you think?
0: Oh, I don't know. We'd like to. Uh,
1: yeah, you probably should. The, the Quadrant stuff is going to get big it's, uh, at some point soon, hopefully. It, I mean, I got good stuff up, you know. I wrote a book. A okay. good, I'm writing a good book based on true story. It's like really good stuff, you know. So. other thoughts? Good. No. All
2: right, Ready? yep. Just now taking perconition. Many of our friends encourage us by saying that this is but a beginning. Only the augury of a much larger future ahead. Oh, the spark that was declared in the first AA group was struck at... Making it. loud noise. Uh, maybe putting <laughs> table. Yeah,
1: I was just getting settled.
2: was that?
0: I say, I was just getting settled. Akron,
2: Ohio, in June 1935. During a talk between a New York stockbroker and an Akron physician, six months earlier, the broker had been relieved of his drink obsession by a sudden spiritual experience. Following a meeting with an alcoholic friend who had been in contact with the Oxford groups of N.A., think
1: about that, that the southern spiritual, uh, sudden
0: spiritual experience, ain't that? Yeah, well, he must have had a, a moment of, of clarity. What the Alcoholics Anonymous calls a moment of clarity, when suddenly. You see things, coming to know things you didn't know you already know.
2: No. He had also been greatly helped by the late Dr. William D. Silkworth, a New York specialist in alcoholism, who is now accounted no less than a medical saint by AA members, and whose story of the early days of our society appears in the next pages. From this doctor, the broker had learned the grave nature of alcoholism. Though he could not accept all the tenets of the Oxford groups, he was convinced of the need for moral inventory, Confession of personality defects, restitution to those harmed, helpfulness to others, and the necessity of belief in and dependence. And
1: it does it. Uh, why, why is it important? The restitution of those harmed. And it does. Well,
0: to take responsibility for what harm you did to other people. Hmm. To look at your contribution to the issue.
2: Yeah, that's it. No. upon God. Prior to his journey to Akron, the broker had worked hard with many alcoholics on the theory that only an alcoholic could help an alcoholic. But he had succeeded. On...
0: Yeah, well, see, that's a basic idea that, uh, that it doesn't help to blame anybody. And if if you're an alcoholic, then you don't blame another person for being alcoholic. See, it's, it's never helpful to blame yourself or to blame other people.
1: Wait, if you're an alcoholic, you don't blame the other... That. Wait, wait, wait. When, if you're an alcoholic, you don't blame the other alcoholic because you know that that it's not anybody to blame? Is that you saying? Well, the, the, it doesn't help. No, it, If you're an alcoholic, it doesn't and help. then you don't blame There's the other alcoholic t- for being an alcoholic because you know that it's not his fault or what? Well, no,
0: it's not a matter of fault. It's just a matter of blaming.
1: Yeah, sometimes sometimes you can blame, though. Well, all I'm saying is, sure, you can blame. It just doesn't help. Maybe sometimes it can help, though.
0: Well, I don't know that it can. Why not? Well, because it, it gets you all involved in interpersonal top dog, underdog, right, wrong... Superior, inferior—all that kind of soap opera.
1: Yeah, sometimes, sometimes there is something to blame, though. You know, you, you you cross the street, some guy hit you, and let's say, and then, and now, and now that you you know you have a broken arm, you can blame the guy for hitting you because he was texting on his phone. Why? What, 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 yeah, you can blame him if you you can blame him if you want. He is to blame. He is responsible. Okay, then what are you talking about that you can't bl- that help blame, blaming doesn't help then?
0: Well, it doesn't. So, what does that
1: accomplish? We, we already, already know. know. We, already we already do? Know, do you know that. You that was to blame. Like, okay, no one's to blame. So, let's just move on with the day. No, now that guy has to pay for the for my arm insurance or whatever. Now that guy has to, you know, a- any thoughts?
0: Well, well see, yes, he, he has to be responsible. See, that's what that first principle that, that you just read. You have to make amends.
1: So what are you talking about? That you, you are not, responsible. And don't blame? Sometimes you got to blame. Then. And, and and what does that what does that have to do with the with the person who is an alcoholic ha- needs another alcoholic to help him? What does it have to do with blaming?
0: Well, you, if you're an alcoholic, you don't blame another person for being an alcoholic because you know that doesn't help. How do you know it doesn't help?
1: I mean, you're, That's not just their principle. you're not explaining it enough that you're not really telling me what, what, what you're trying to say. You got you to gotta explain the details, explain it specifically. specifically. Like, what, what do you mean?
0: I just did. They know that that accomplishes nothing, How would even they know though that? there is
1: someone to blame. Why being an alcoholic would they know that?
0: If you're an alcoholic, you know the other person isn't to blame for being an alcoholic. I mean, no, it doesn't help to blame the other person for being an alcoholic.
1: Oh, because you know, like, blaming the victim type of thing. right. Yeah. Yeah, does it?
2: No. Only in keeping sober himself. The broker had gone to Akron on a business venture, which had collapsed, leaving him greatly in fear that he might start drinking again. He suddenly realized that in order to save himself, he must carry his message to another alcoholic. That alcoholic turned out to be the Akramton. This physician had repeatedly tried spiritual means to resolve his alcoholic dilemma, but had failed. But when the broker gave him Dr. Silkware's description of alcoholism and its hopelessness, the physician began to pursue the spiritual remedy for his malady with a willingness he had never before been able to muster. He sobered, never to drink again up to the moment of his death in 1950. This seemed to prove that one alcoholic could affect another, as no non-alcoholic could. It also indicated that strenuous work, one alcoholic with another, was vital to permanent recovery. Hence, the two men set to work almost frantically upon alcoholics arriving in the ward of the Akron City Hospital. Their very first case, a desperate one, recovered immediately and became AA number 3. He never had another drink. This work at Akron continued through the summer of 1935. There were many failures, but there was an occasional heartening success. When the broker returned to New York in the fall of 1935, the first AA group had actually been formed, though no one realized it at the time. By late 1937, the number of members having substantial sobriety time behind them was sufficient to convince the membership that a new light had entered the dark world of the alcoholic. A second small group had promptly taken shape at New York. And besides, there were scattered alcoholics who had picked up the basic ideas in Akron or New York and were trying to form AA groups in other cities. It was now time, the struggling groups thought, to place their message and unique experience before the world. This determination bore fruit in the spring of 1939 by the publication of this volume. The membership had then reached about 100 men and women. The fledgling Society, which had been nameless, now began to be called Alcoholics Anonymous from the title of its own book. The Flying Blind period ended, and AA entered a new phase of its pioneering time. With the appearance of the new book, a great deal began to happen. Dr. Harry Emerson Fosdick... The noted clergyman reviewed it with approval. In the fall of 1939, Fulton Ausler, then editor of Liberty, printed a piece in his magazine called Alcoholics and God. This brought a rush of 800 frantic inquiries into the little New York office, which meanwhile had been established. Each inquiry was painstakingly answered. Pamphlets and books were sent out. Businessmen traveling out of existing groups were referred to these prospective newcomers. New groups started up. And it was found, to the astonishment of everyone, that A.A.'s message could be transmitted in the mail, as well as by word of mouth. By the end of 1939, it was estimated that 800 alcoholics were on their way to recovery. In the spring of 1940, John D. Rockefeller Jr. gave a dinner for many of his friends, to which he invited A.A. members to tell their stories. News of this got on the world wires, inquiries poured in again, and many people went to the bookstores to get the book Alcoholics Anonymous. By March 1941, the membership had shot up to 2,000. Then Jack Alexander wrote a feature article in the Saturday Evening Post and placed such a compelling picture of AA before the general public that alcoholics in need of help really deluged us. By the close of 1941, AA numbered 8,000 members. The mushrooming process was in...
1: Any thoughts? No. I was going to say, you know, sometimes you hear people like say like, oh, the reason why people self-sabotage is because they don't want success. Any thoughts on that? Well I don't that,
0: that may be true I, I think more often it's that they're afraid of success Yeah, why would that be Well, see there's, there's responsibility that comes from from being su- successful. Um, one of them is to to sustain it. And so there are people who don't want to put in the work. You know, it's like like people are asking Curry. Curry's been—he's had like 12 or 15 games in a row where he's had over 30 points, and he said, "You know, it's—it's it's, it's not by accident or luck." He said, "People don't realize how, how hard I work every day on my game." Yeah, so people, there are people who don't—people who, there are people who don't want to work that hard to remain successful.
1: Yeah. Also, you know. Like if I had the basketball DVDs, you know, I was I was big time, and I, I was moving to exponential level and stuff with this shootaway machine. It really was, and you didn't know how I was way better than all those guys, and I still could be. It's just you guys. It, I really was sabotaged by people. Um, you know, I could have had help. I could have had help with getting the basketball DVDs and stuff, but you, you, it, there was a lot of miscommunication, whatever. But if I had the DVDs, like Curry had DVDs of when he's younger, he he has those DVDs. He can look at the stuff, and that helps him a lot. You know, he has. He had a little bit of extra stuff. Now, I don't think it's necessarily like, oh, they, they don't want it. He has extra stuff that helped him. He has the DVDs of when he was younger. He can look at that and all that type of stuff. If I had it, it would have been helpful too. You know, I had some of the DVDs that were lost because of fucking guy, and because of you, you, because you, you know, people were trying to make me independent and it wasn't helping. You know, I, I needed support. I needed help. But it, whatever, it doesn't matter. You guys didn't know it was a shootaway machine at the time. It doesn't matter. But what I'm saying is this is that I don't think, I I think that number one, it's that, that people don't get success, not because they don't are afraid of it. That's like blaming the victim, in my opinion. A lot of times it's because they didn't have the same opportunities. They didn't have the same type of stuff. And also another, another thing is, you know, sometimes, sometimes yeah, they just didn't have the tools to have to be successful. It's not that they didn't want to be successful. They wanted to be successful. It's not that they were afraid of it. That's like blaming them. Oh, you're not successful because you're afraid. No, it's like, no, I, I wanted, the person wanted to be successful. It's not because he was afraid. It's just he didn't have the tools or, or, you know, whatever, the situations. People were freaking sabotaging him, you know, stuff like that. There, you know, it, it, it like this. the whole idea of like, oh, yeah, it's just a, you're afraid of success. That's why you're not successful. I always feel that that's like the same type of like victim blaming type of thing. Like, yeah, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm here because I'm not wait, afraid. Wait, 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 what? wait, wait, wait. What, 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 what? You asked me.
0: You asked me what might be, and I said, well, that might be. There are some people who might be afraid of it. I'm yeah. just not saying that, that that's always the case. I'm just saying that's one possibility. That's all I said.
1: Yeah, a lot of times it's, it's because, you know, the person didn't have the tools, he didn't have the equipment, he didn't have the, you know, the, the, the DVDs and stuff like that. Stuff. Yeah, that's but, another, you know, like, that's like, another like you, also like, you know, when you have people who did, didn't see it, like you thought it was because I was playing bigger no, it wasn't. You didn't know how good I was. And I was exponentially getting better. Coaches thought I was going to be in the NBA. And I would have been if dad didn't get that shoot away and all that stuff. And it was big time stuff. It really would have been. You didn't see how good I was. And and the thing is, I could still, I could still, but then you guys had me hurt and stuff. But I had, you know, if I had the DVDs, it would have helped so much. Just having the DVDs to be able to see how I did it would have helped so much. Just having the DVDs. I but, but all I'm saying is, whatever. I discovered the theory of everything. But all I'm saying is... When people are, I, I just sometimes see people like, oh yeah, the reason why, and then also, you know, blaming the victim in terms of like the alcoholics, I'll be like, oh yeah, the reason why they're alcoholics is sometimes because they want to, it's like a self-sabotage because they're afraid of success. You know, sometimes that can be the case. If they if they want to be superior so much that they, you know, they go out the night before and they drink alcohol, so then they, they, they fail the test and then they have an excuse, oh, it's because I was drunk the night before. And, you know, people can say like, Yeah, that sometimes happens. The reason why some people become alcoholics or drug dealers, drug users, and stuff is because they know that they're going to be unsuccessful. So then now, now they can have an excuse. Oh, it's because I did drugs and stuff. So you know, that's like a that's like a defense mechanism. Any thoughts of that? Yeah, that's another possibility. It's a possibility, but then at the same time, there are a lot
0: of what? There are a lot of reasons. A lot of reasons.
1: I just mentioned one. You just mentioned one. We could mention a lot of other reasons. Uh, yeah, that, that, that could be one aspect of it. But then, but then the thing is, though, at the same time, not necessarily. You know, somebody could just, you could have been through a lot of pain, and the alcohol helped, you know, numb the pain or whatever. Yeah. You know, what do you think about that? That happens with a lot of yeah. people. Yeah, that, that's, yeah, that's another reason. Yeah. You know, and in, and and it helps take them out of the world and stuff. So you know, people who are abused and stuff, they're probably more likely to do alcohol and stuff. But you would you say that? And I would say like people growing up in the ghetto and stuff. And it's not, like, so biological. A lot of it is environmental. You're abused and stuff, and you don't have that much opportunities. You know, and the same thing with, like, the idea of, the, oh, the person was just afraid of success, so he wanted to have an excuse for his failure. But also, the environment it probably had something to do with that. He probably was in an environment where success was difficult to achieve. Of course. Yeah, that's, that's a very common reason. Yeah, doesn't it? So the, the big question is, what, what about what, you know, people say it, there's a biological component to alcoholism. Do you think that's true? Well, uh, I'm not sure about that, but
0: I, I think there are some people that are more allergic to alcohol. There are some people that uh, it, it has a more profound effect on them. Uh, you know, there are all kinds of physiological reasons also.
2: Yeah, does it? No. Full swing. AA had become a national institution. Our society then entered a fearsome and exciting adolescent period. The test that it faced was could these large numbers of erstwhile erratic alcoholics successfully meet and work together? Would there be quarrels over membership, leadership, and money? Would there be strivings for power and prestige? Would there be schisms which would split AA apart? Soon, A.A. was beset by these very problems on every side and in every group. But out of this frightening and, at first, disrupting experience, the conviction grew that A.A.'s had to hang together or die separately. We had to unify our fellowship or pass off the scene. As we discovered the principles by which the individual alcoholic could live, so we had to evolve the principles by which the A.A. groups and A.A. as a whole could survive and function effectively. It was thought that no alcoholic man or woman could be excluded from our society. That our leaders might serve, but never govern. That each group was to be autonomous, and there was to be no professional class of therapy. There would be no fees or dues. Our expenses were to be met by our own voluntary contributions. There was to be the least possible organization, even in our service. It does
1: that? Yeah, that's good. Yeah,
0: why is that good? Well, see, that's a higher order they depend on. The only order they want is sobriety. That's the ultimate, the ultimate organizing principle: hmm. sobriety.
1: Hmm. And why is that good? Any does?
0: Well, see, then, then, then you're not obeying rules and regulations. Hmm. Yeah, does it? There's less interpersonal top
1: dogging. Soap opera stuff. I was thinking, like, you know, people people would say, like, oh, yeah, Indians are more, like, allergic to alcohol, or they're more likely to be alcoholics, but also maybe it's because they're, they're in so much pain because of all the suffering that they went through. You know, any thoughts? Yeah, that's certainly possible. Um, But what about the idea that they don't pay? Like, they, they do their own donations and stuff. What do you think about that, thoughts, sir?
0: That's that's, that's not imposed on people. That's not a qualification.
1: The only
2: qualification is wanting to be sober. It doesn't. Our public relations were to be based upon attraction rather than promotion. It was decided that all members ought to be anonymous at the level of press, radio, TV, and films. And in no circumstances should we give endorsements, make alliances, or enter public controversies. This was the substance of A.A.'s 12 traditions, which are stated in full on page 564 of this book. Though none of these principles had the force of rules or laws, they had become so widely accepted by 1950 that they were confirmed by our first international conference held at Cleveland. Today, the remarkable unity of A.A. is one of the greatest assets that our society has. While the internal difficulties of our adolescent period were being ironed out, public acceptance of A.A. grew by leaps and bounds. For this, there were two principal reasons. The large numbers of recoveries and reunited homes. These made their impressions everywhere, once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. Other thousands came to a few AA meetings and at first decided they didn't want the program. But great numbers of these, about two out of three, began to return as time passed. Another reason for the wide acceptance of A.A. was the ministration of friends, friends in medicine, religion, and the press, together with innumerable others who became our able and persistent advocates. Without such support, A.A. could have made only the slowest progress. Some of the recommendations of A.A.'s early medical and religious friends will be found further on in this book. Alcoholics Anonymous is not a religious organization. Neither does A.A. take any particular medical point of view, though we cooperate widely with the men of medicine, well, as with the men of religion. Alcohol, being no respecter of persons, we are an accurate cross-section of America, and in distant lands, the same democratic evening-up process is now going on.
1: it goes. Well, you
0: see, this is this is very much like transpersonal psychology. See, transpersonal psychology pa- uh, presents to people uh, uh, the fact that they they have a choice. Do you want to be a beneficial presence as a father? Do you want to be a beneficial presence as a husband? Do you want to be a beneficial... See, that's like saying, do you want to be sober? And only when you want to be sober can anything be helpful. They have a... They have a.
1: Well, the question, though, is, like, why yeah. not? Why not? What's wrong with being an alcoholic? What's wrong with alcohol? It does. No, well, you can be alcohol if you want. I mean, I never drink alcohol, so I don't know. But my question is, what's wrong with it? Huh? Uh, uh. you know what's wrong with it. No, what's wrong? I don't know. So well, what? The, the guy has a little accident. fun. He, he he might you know try to hit on some women. It might loosen him up a little bit. So what? They're, if anything, it's good things.
0: Any thoughts? Yeah. Some good things happen, but then also it ruins marriages, it gets you in accidents, you lose jobs, all kinds of things. You just can't can't function
1: beneficially.
0: You can't be a beneficial presence.
1: But then but then the question is so what? Maybe like we, we talked about it, maybe marriage isn't the best thing. That maybe that might be a good thing. You're breaking out of attachments. Maybe the jobs. Maybe society's screwed up. Maybe being alcoholic might be best. Maybe that's why the Indians being alcoholic isn't that big of a deal. They're they're against the society. That, that they feel has belittled them, you know, and, and treats them poorly yeah. and, and stuff. Yeah, well, people, people,
0: can, people can be alcoholics if they want. Alcoholics Anonymous is just for people who want to be sober. It's not for every
1: alcoholic. Because what I'm thinking is like, you know, for the people who say like, yeah, who cares if you're not doing your job and stuff? Society's sick. And, and, and maybe we should all, you know, relax a little bit and not do so much busy work. it. <laughs> Know, and, and and so what if I'm if I'm a little bit looser and I'm picking hitting, some, hitting on somebody but at least I'm not at least I'm not inhibited and you know a right-wing yeah, can be that
0: can be the Alcoholics Anonymous doesn't impose that on anybody it's just there for, for those who want to be sober that's it it's like transpersonal psychology it's not for everybody mm-hmm. it's only for those who want to, to to upgrade their software that's all it's it, it's it, it it doesn't impose itself on anyone mm-hmm.
2: no by personal religious affiliation we include catholics protestants jews hindus and a sprinkling of Muslims and buddhists more than 15 percent of us are women at present our membership is increasing at the rate of about seven percent a year so far upon the total problem of several million actual and potential alcohol so
1: that's an interesting question. Why so few women compared to men? Yeah, that, that, that's, that's a puzzling question. Is it, I'm thinking probably it's environmental very much, like, because the men have to work so much more, and there's so much more pressure on men in society, you know, to, to work and to, and to be seen as, you know, for men, again, it's the idea that they, they need to be seen as successful and, and competent and stuff. With the women, it's not so much. Like, women don't need that. Like if a woman's not competent and not successful, people are like, "Okay, that's fine. Does she have a husband?" Okay, <clears throat> that's why culture tends to look at it, you know. But a man. But well, see,
0: see, this is not. Yeah, this, this this wasn't statistics about the number of alcoholics. It's just statistics about the number who is in the program. No, it has nothing to do still, with there, the there's percentage there's a lot of more alcoholics. men alcoholics,
1: though. So. Oh, well, I don't know. That's I've never
0: looked at those statistics.
1: Yeah, there's a lot more men alcoholics. So why would that be? I would say it's probably environmental uh, because society puts more pressure on men.
0: Yeah, certainly possible.
1: And also, like, if you think about it, like, what are the benefits of alcohol? What makes you looser so you can pick up on girls better? Like, girls don't need to pick up on guys as much, culturally, you know? It's the guys who, get, who pick up on the girls. That's, that's like the cultural thing. And like, A girl, you know, like there is differences. Like, you know, guys get nervous to approach girls. Not really for girls approaching guys because, you know, and there's different reasons why people say that is. One is they say it's genetic and it's biological and that, you know, guys back in history, when they approach girls, that's that's life or death. You know, my genes are going to survive or not. But a girl, she's going to be approached by and she's going to choose a guy pretty much no matter what, you know. But for a guy that's, you know – there's a competition going on and only – not every guy gets the, the – girl. Guy, every guy's – you know, every girl gets a guy pretty much almost. But only like they, – they've done studies like only like 50 percent of men reproduce. The other ones are not reproducing. And even the ones – because the girls, even the ones who are married to a guy, they're still going with other guys. Like any thoughts to that? I know. So, you know there's different pressures in in, in the female and the male. And now we could look at that. Okay. That's biological and that that's sexist and stuff. But also let's look at, let's look, I would say that with, with the man and woman aspect, there, there is aspects of that, that you have to take into account that there's, there's different uh, engagements going on just based off of biology, that one has a penis and one has a vagina and, and one can, you know, produce babies and another one can't. Like any thoughts to that? No. Do you think that's true? Oh, I don't know. So I'm getting that's like for the guy, you know, drinking alcohol gets him looser, that's gonna be beneficial for his genes, maybe. But for a woman, how's that gonna be beneficial for her genes? If anything, it's just gonna make her the guys go like, Oh, she's sloppy. I don't know. Any thoughts? No, yeah. there's certainly a possibility. I mean, it's, it could be cultural too, I mean, whatever, but... You know, when I think about the swag flow, like the girls when they were all over my swag flow, maybe the, the alcohol can get you to not think so much, you know? Any thoughts? Yeah,
2: that's in the world, possible. We have made only a scratch. In all probability, we shall never be able to touch more than a fair fraction of the alcohol problem and all of its ramifications. Upon therapy for the alcoholic himself, we surely have no monopoly, yet it is our great hope that all those who have as yet found no answer may begin to find one in the pages of this book, and will presently join us on the high road to a new freedom. Forward to third edition. By March 1976, when this edition went to the printer, the total worldwide membership of Alcoholics Anonymous was conservatively estimated at more than one million, with almost 28,000 groups meeting in over 90 countries. Surveys of groups in the United States and Canada indicate that AA is reaching out, not only to more and more people, but to a wider and wider range. Women now make up more than one-fourth of the membership. Among newer members, the proportion is nearly one-third. 7% of the AA surveyed are less than 30 years of age, among them many in their teens.
1: So, I mean, maybe it's not that big of a difference with men and women, though. So, that could basically counter what I thought, like Benny thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, yeah, like I say, I, I've never seen statistics on it.
2: The basic principles of the AA program, it appears, hold good for individuals with many different lifestyles, just as the program has brought recovery to those of many different nationalities. The 12 steps that summarize the program may be called Los Doce Pasos in one country, Les Douze Etapes in another, but they trace exactly the same path to recovery that was blazed by the earliest members of Alcoholics Anonymous. In spite
1: of the. What do you think about the idea of 12 steps, ain't thus?
2: Well, no. ...great increase in the size and the span of this fellowship. At its core, it remains simple and personal. Each day, somewhere in the world, recovery begins when one alcoholic talks with another alcoholic, sharing experience, strength, and hope. The footnotes on this page tell us that in 1978, more than 30,000 groups are meeting in over 90 countries. And in 1978, about one-third of the membership is composed of... And 11% are 30 and under. The doctor's opinion. We of Alcoholics Anonymous believe that the reader will be interested in the medical estimate of the plan of recovery described in this book. Convincing testimony must surely come from medical men who have had experience with the sufferings of our members and have witnessed our return to health. A well-known doctor, chief physician at a nationally prominent hospital specializing in alcoholic and drug addiction, gave Alcoholics Anonymous this letter. To whom it may concern, I have specialized in the treatment of alcoholism for many years. In late 1934, I attended a patient who, though he had been a competent businessman of good earning capacity, was an alcoholic of a type I had come to regard as hopeless. In the course of his third treatment, he acquired certain ideas concerning a possible means of recovery. As part of his rehabilitation, he commenced to present his conception.
1: One thing that I think is interesting is that, like, with the Orthodox Jews, some of them are kind of, like, alcoholics, it seems like. They drink a lot of alcohol. Like, any thoughts of that? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, because like, a lot of the parties and stuff. Or, you know, like, even in, like, Shabbat, there's a lot of alcohol drinking, you know?
2: Huh. ...to other alcoholics, impressing upon them that they must do likewise. It's
1: kind of interesting, though, that how, like, the Muslims are kind of, like, the opposite, where they don't drink any alcohol. Like, any thoughts no like, that's it that's very interesting like which one is better like neither one right uh, neither. yeah i don't i, I do
0: know how to respond to that
2: guys with still others this has become the basis of a rapidly growing fellowship of these men and their families this man and over one hundred others. I mean,
1: I never drink alcohol. The only time I ever drink alcohol is if I go to a Shabbat thing and they have like they pass around like a little cup and I'll take like a, a sip of a little cup. But I've never drank alcohol to the point where I would get drunk, you know. Uh, Any thoughts? No. Like it's like it's it's a little tiny cup.
2: Appear to have recovered. I personally know scores of cases who were of the type with whom other methods had failed completely. These facts appear to be of extreme medical importance because of the extraordinary possibilities of rapid growth inherent in this group, they may mark a new epoch in the annals of alcoholism. Mm-hmm. These men may well have a remedy for thousands of such situations. You may rely absolutely on anything they say about themselves. Very truly yours, William D. Silkworth, M.D. The physician who, at our request, gave us this letter, has been kind enough to enlarge upon his views in another statement which follows. In this statement, he confirms what we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe, that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. It did not satisfy us to be told that we could not control our drinking just because we were maladjusted to life, that we were in full flight from reality or were outright mental defectives. These things were true to some extent, in fact to a considerable extent with some of us. But we are... No. ...sure that our bodies were sickened as well. In our belief, any picture of the alcoholic which leaves out this physical factor is incomplete. The doctor's theory. So
1: that's interesting because it's making me think of like the whole mental illness thing where people would to it. We would say like, oh, they're just like, they're just fantasies They're just escaping reality. But there's nothing biological about it. But then, but then people say no, and they want to blame it. No, it's a physical thing. It's my, it's my brain. Uh, the chemicals they're imbalanced or whatever, and that gives some people comfort and stuff. So they can blame it on it. And I'm wondering if it's the same thing with like the alcoholics. But you know. It's the same thing with like you know someone who's black or something It'd be like oh it's just because I'm black that's why I don't st-. and then that could be an excuse uh, it's my biology or whatever any thoughts?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's one of the one of the uh, the uh, consequences of, of finding reasons.
1: But the question is, is, is it is it, the- is it a biological thing with the alcoholic and is it you know? There might be a biological thing with the with the mentally ill person. Like I don't know. Any thoughts? Yeah, certainly. They certainly, seem to think that it's very hopeful. likely. They seem to think that it's helpful to think that. What do you think? Any thoughts?
0: Well, I I, I don't know.
1: You <laughs> see, with with the with the mentally ill thing, though. Yeah, there might be a physical basis, but all we do know is that the antipsychotics aren't physici- fixing the physical imbalance or just, you know, basically giving you an atrophying of the brain that shuts you down and doles you. You know, any thoughts?
2: Yeah. yeah. Do we have an allergy to alcohol? Interest us. As layman, our opinion as to its soundness may, of course, mean little. But as ex-problem drinkers, we can say that his explanation makes good sense. It explains many things for which we cannot otherwise account. Though we work out our solution on the spiritual, as well as an altruistic claim, we favor hospitalization for the alcoholic who is very jittery or befogged. More often than not, it is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached, as he has then a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. The doctor writes, The subject presented in this book seems to be of paramount importance to those afflicted with alcoholic addiction. I say this after many years' experience as medical director of one of the oldest hospitals in the country treating alcoholic and drug addiction. There was, therefore, a sense of real satisfaction when I was asked to contribute a few words on a subject which is covered in such masterly detail in these pages. We doctors have realized for a long time that some form of moral psychology was of urgent importance to alcoholics, but its application presented difficulties beyond our conception. What with our ultra modern standards, our scientific approach to everything, we are perhaps not well equipped to apply the powers of good that lie out...
1: Noah doesn't like the idea of the biological basis because Noah's an idealist. Noah, He's also an NF, so NFs tend to, I think, be more idealist orientation because of the first quadrant. and first quadrant is mental. But idealists don't believe that there is any matter or any physical thing in the universe. And it's not just like an energy thing. He thinks it's all mind, that it's all like a dream or it's all like a consciousness, not energy. Or, or you know, some just or like a dream, you know? But... And in, in that, case, you know, so he he says that the whole idea of like chemical imbalance. So what? He still thinks it's all like that. There is no chemicals really. It mean, does. Yeah, well, that's not an uncommon premise.
0: Christian Science operates on that basis. It doesn't. No.
2: Side our synthetic knowledge. Many years ago, one of the leading contributors to this book came under our care in this hospital. And while here, he requested the privilege of being allowed to tell his story to other patients here. And with some misgiving, we can say- So what do
1: you think about that, telling your story? I mean, aren't you against that, kind of, or any thoughts? No, I'm not against it. So is it helpful for this guy to tell a story, or what? Any thoughts? I mean, that's what they- I, I went to Alcoholics Anonymous Place, and that's what they do. They go up and they tell their story and stuff, right? Any thoughts? Any thoughts?
0: Well, that's that's a way of of being honest, being uh, uh, honest about your contributions and how your life... See, the bottom bottom line is, people uh, Alcoholics Anonymous assumes or operates under the principle that uh, until a person reaches the point where they realize that their life has become unmanageable, that they cannot make things turn out the way they want them to turn out, and that alcohol is one of the things that gets in the way of that. Until they get to that realization that my life, the principle is my life has become unmanageable, and I surrender my life to a higher power. And until until they're ready to to, to make that commitment, then um, uh, they're not they're not ready for sobriety.
1: Yeah, doesn't. So, so, so when, no. when you tell your story though, they, they say it's beneficial to like write your story because it allows you to distance yourself from it. So it it you distance yourself a little bit because now, you, now you're writing about yourself. And, and they say like, just saying like, if, if you're like standing, if there's something going on, you say Ryan. You tell yourself Ryan, just walk away. It, just saying your name, it allows you to distance from yourself. Any thoughts of that? Yeah, oh, that's a good discipline. Why? Because, because it's like that, that that you're not yourself so much. Or what? Yeah. Well, you see, again,
0: it goes back to once a person makes a commitment to, to sobriety. I want to be my life has become unmanageable. I'm committed to sobriety. Once you've made that commitment, then telling your story and t- talking to other people, all these other things then can be helpful. But until you get to that point they they aren't helpful
1: yeah, that's awesome. no what do you think about the cia amita no so i'm listening to an audiobook on
2: the cia the cases we have followed through have been most interesting in fact many of them are amazing the unselfishness of these men as we have come to know them the entire absence of profit motive and their community spirit is indeed inspiring to one who has labored long and wearily in this alcoholic field They believe in themselves, and still more, in the power which pulls chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death. Of course, an alcoholic ought to be freed from his physical craving for liquor, and this often requires a definite hospital procedure before psychological measures can be of maximum benefit. We believe, and so suggested a few years ago, that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy, that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class, and never occurs in the average temperate drinker.
1: Any thoughts?
0: Yeah, well, that's that's where they they believe in a biological component.
1: Well, I was listening to this guy talk about this idea of like bad habits and stuff, and how a lot of them aren't natural. That like, you know, t- tobacco. Like most people, when they first take tobacco, they're like, "Ooh, that's disgusting." But then they they keep doing it, and they make themselves do it to the point where something disgusting, something becomes something that they can't stop doing. They become addicted, and it's like it's not natural. Then he says, "But but some you know, any thoughts on that?" Well you, I'm sure that's true for
0: some people. I remember the first time uh, I uh, smoked a cigarette and I didn't know how to do it so somebody to- told me how to, to inhale it so I wouldn't choke on it and I suddenly got this tremendous high and I, I said to myself never again. I could see how it could be, very easily become addictive.
1: Yeah. Well, that's good, huh? That you that you're able to do that. Dad, yeah. dad, dad got addicted and he couldn't stop, and he does. Yeah, that's true. I wonder if dad still has to take those nicotine gums and shit. Does he still
0: do that? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He chews that all the time.
1: That's funny, huh? Why yeah, can't he chew himself? To, why can't he chew himself to the point where he doesn't need it anymore? Well, uh, he, apparently, a person
0: needs it or craves it in their system. But I'm saying, like, it's why not can't a he, matter of getting enough. Of
1: it. No, but what I'm saying, why can't you just penetrate there, of himself no such... off of it? Or what, what's 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 a word for that? Well, uh, uh,
0: I don't know, but it's not a matter of of, of
1: needing a tea, certain. It's like, it's like temper, or you know, you, you take slower and lower doses. Like you start off taking like one one pill and then you cut it down to three quarters of a pill a day and then you cut it down to, to to one half of a pill a day. Like why does he do that? Because he enjoys
0: he enjoys the he enjoys the feeling of the nicotine. It's like I was aware when I tried that in college. It could become very very enjoyable.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's it.
0: Yeah, I'm sure it's like pornography. It's very
2: enjoyable.
0: Yeah.
2: No. These allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. And once having formed a habit and found they cannot break it, once having lost their self-confidence, their reliance upon things human, their problems pile up on them and become astonishingly difficult to solve. Frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. The message which can interest and hold these alcoholic people must have depth and weight. In nearly all cases, their ideals must be grounded in a power greater than themselves if they are to recreate their lives. If any feel that as psychiatrist,
0: any of us, no, see, he's now alluding to that that fundamental principle. Until there's a power, till so you surrender your, your life to a power greater than your own ego sobriety is
2: not a possibility. a hospital for alcoholics, we appear somewhat sentimental. Let them stand with us a while on the firing line. See the tragedies, the despairing (coughs) wives, the little children? Let the solving of these problems become a part of their daily work and even of their sleeping moments. And the most cynical will not wonder that we have accepted and encouraged this movement. We feel after many years of experience that we have found nothing which has contributed more to the rehabilitation of these men than the altruistic movement now growing up among them. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. To them, they're... Yeah, yeah,
0: that's true. It becomes
1: so enjoyable, you become become unaware of its harmful effects. It's it's, got to be like porn, you know, because... You know, like the porn is like I know it's probably not good for my like a it probably gives like erectile dysfunction and stuff. I probably it's probably not good for you, but you know it's just like I need to have a blocker because if I know it's so enjoyable, you know, if you have it, it's possible. It's just like it's like it's so enjoyable you can't not do it. You know, it does. Yeah, but, I don't yeah that's precisely the issue. But but like my freaking mom, you know, I need to do do it with my mom like the, the YouTube thing and stuff. But you know, m- mom doesn't know I do the computer stuff that well. And it's like. Uh, whatever, F- figure it out, but like freaking on YouTube, they sometimes been putting on porn and stuff. They have to freaking get their act together and, and learn how to get that stuff down. But the way that they do it is they put like videos and they, they'll they put like, you know, patterns behind it so that the programs can't discern that it's porn or not because the patterns uh probably disrupt the sensors or whatever and it does. Huh. I didn't know that. Yeah, th- th- that's been a new phenomenon.
2: Alcoholic you know, life scene sucks. The only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks. Drinks which they see others taking with impunity. After they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, they pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over, and unless this person can experience an entire psychic change...
1: Yeah, it's so easy. You know, you say, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to do it, but you, you, you can't you say it after you get the fix like after you ejaculate or whatever you're like okay i'm never gonna do it again but then the next day you're like okay i gotta do it again you know any thoughts
2: there is very little hope of his recovery on the other hand and strange as this may seem to those who do not understand once a psychic change has occurred the very same person who seemed doomed who had so many problems he despaired of ever solving them suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol the only effort necessary being that required to follow a few simple rules. Men have cried out to me in sincere and despairing appeal. Doctor, I cannot go on like this. I have everything to live for. I must stop, but I cannot. You must help me. Based-
1: Is Dad an alcoholic? Oh, I don't. I don't think so. You know, i not. I've not been around him enough to um, evaluate that.
0: I know your mom is worried that he might become, but. Uh...
1: yeah, Amos, Amos was right. Oh yeah. Yeah, well. Yeah, he, he started doing. that dad, should be a normal he started, person. He started in junior, he, he started in junior high school. Yeah, well, that, that should be a normal person and talk to his son. Maybe that's a problem, part of the reason why he's an alcoholic, you know, but I mean. It would be helpful if he if he could see me shoot the ball and, and see you know help me with the DVDs and stuff and be be a man you know but he decided not to whatever alright ready yeah
2: this problem it
1: would be it would be very helpful yeah yeah but, but.
2: the doctor is honest with like, like, him I
1: feel like he had a I'm not I'm not blaming you I feel like that he misinterpreted what you taught and stuff and I think that you confused him. and you confused I think Amos and stuff like I I, I think you know you, you I know I understand what you're teaching but I can see how people can get confused but alright
2: He must sometimes feel his own inadequacy. Although he gives all that is in him, it often is not enough. One feels that something more than human power is needed to produce the essential psychic change. Though the aggregate of recoveries resulting from psychic effort is considerable, we physicians must admit we have made little impression upon the problem as a whole. Many types do not respond to the ordinary psychological approach. I do not hold with those who believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. I have had many men who had, for example, worked a period of months on some problem or business deal, which was to be settled on a certain date, favorably to them. They took a drink a day or so prior to that date, and then the phenomenon of craving at once became paramount to all other interests, so that the important appointment was not met. These men were not drinking to escape. They were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. Hey, Yes.
1: Yeah. That, that's interesting. See, cool. that's another... Uh-huh. What?
0: Yeah, that's another reason. That's another reason why uh, a person uh, doesn't become successful. It's not because they're afraid of it. It's because they have a greater craving.
1: Yeah, and it's it's like, yeah, you could blame it like oh, it's it's because it's desire desire to escape. But I mean, are those are those two intertwined though? You know, the desire to escape and the craving. Like, are those interlinked? To where you can't really d- differentiate. Because maybe the craving aspect is also linked to the the, the the escape aspect that it provides. You know, any thoughts?
0: Yeah, I'm sure that's a possibility. Again, I wouldn't Cause, make would gross about. I think the
1: porn that. thing. A lot of it has to do with of my family problems. That my mom and dad became emotionally distant, and I think that I'm not blaming you, but I think that they misinterpreted what you taught and everything. And I think that you also, I misinterpreted it, and I think Amos did. I think that. It confused people i think grandma purple grandma did and it's like it is confusing and and the thing is like i feel like it, it, this uh, very distorted environment very inharmonious and it didn't have to be that way and i'm not blaming you but in the, in a way i am you know but i'm not blaming you completely but all i'm saying is that that you know i think that that has a part to do with it you know with with the suffering aspect and i think that probably with a lot of alcoholics too I don't think it's a I, so I, I would say that yeah it might be like just a biological craving aspect but i would say that probably there's also an escapist thing linked to it but it's also probably tied to a lot of the pain and trauma that they've underwent any thoughts
0: yeah yeah
2: situations which arise out of the phenomenon of craving which cause man to make the supreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight the classification of alcoholics seems most difficult and in much detail is outside the scope of this book there are of course the psychopaths who are emotionally unstable We're all familiar with this type. They are always going on the wagon for keeps. They are over remorseful and make many resolutions but never a decision. There's the type of man who's unwilling to admit that he cannot take a drink. He plans various ways of drinking. He changes his brand or his environment. There's a type who always believes that after being entirely free from alcohol for a period of time, he can take a drink without danger. There's the manic depressive type who is perhaps the least understood by his friends and about whom a whole chapter could be written. Then there are types entirely normal in every respect, except in the effect alcohol. Hey
1: thoughts? No. What do you think about the manic depressive type with the alcohol? Like, any thoughts on that?
2: No. ...has upon them. They are often able, intelligent, friendly.
1: you think that that's Amos? Because, in my opinion, I don't know. Do you think that Amos has bipolar or something? Any thoughts? Uh, uh, no thoughts on that.
2: people all these and many others have one symptom in common they cannot start drinking without
1: not like biologically but maybe you just got
2: confused you know
1: and i'm not blaming you but i think he did get confused
2: developing the phenomenon of craving this phenomenon as we have suggested may be the manifestation of an allergy which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity it has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar permanently eradicated the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. This immediately precipitates us into a seething call. That's
1: not an entire abstinence,
2: you know? Any thoughts? No. ...of debate. Much has been written, pro and con. But among physicians, the general opinion seems to be that most chronic alcoholics are doomed. What is the solution? Perhaps I can best answer this by relating one of my experiences. About one year prior to this experience, the man was brought in to be treated for chronic alcoholism. He had partially recovered from a gastric hemorrhage and seemed to be a case of pathological mental deterioration. He had lost everything worthwhile in life and was only living, one might say, to drink. He frankly admitted and believed that for him there was no hope. Following the elimination of alcohol, there was found to be no permanent brain injury. He accepted the plan outlined in this book. One year later he called to see me and I experienced a very strange sensation. I knew the man by name, and partly recognized his features. But there all resemblance ended. From a trembling, despairing, nervous wreck had emerged a man brimming over with self-reliance and contentment. I talked with him for some time, but was not able to bring myself to feel that I had known him before. To me, he was a stranger, and so he left me. A long time has passed with no return to alcohol. When I need a mental uplift, I often think of another case brought in by a physician prominent in New York. The patient had made his own diagnosis and decided his situation hopeless, had hidden in a deserted barn, determined to die. He was rescued by a searching party and in desperate condition brought to me. Following his physical rehabilitation, he had a talk with me in which he frankly stated he thought the treatment a waste of effort. Unless I could assure him, which no one ever had, that in the future he would have the willpower to resist the impulse to drink. His alcoholic problem was so complex and his depression so great that we felt his only hope would be through what we then called moral psychology, and we doubted if even that would have any effect. However, he did become sold on the ideas contained in this book. He has not had a drink for a great many years. I see him now and then, and he's as fine a specimen of manhood as anyone could wish to meet. I earnestly advise every alcoholic to read this book through, and though perhaps he came to scoff, he may remain to pray. William D. Silkworth, M.D.
1: Hey, No.
2: Chapter one. Bill's story. I
0: have a thought. I have a thought uh, that I forgot to share. You, you know. Uh, you, you, say I don't blame you, or I do blame you, or whatever. See, it, it's important. It would be helpful or important for you to understand. That blaming me, no matter who blames me, doesn't harm me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I, I so would. I would anybody, in a way, blame you, but it's it's like, but it's okay. I'm not mad at you. I I mean, everything worked out for the best. I discovered that everything is fine. But in a way, I I blame you for, for the for not understanding what was going on, not understanding the whole situation, making assumptions that weren't true, and and maybe just 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 an orientation that I felt was not helpful. But it's okay. Everything worked out. But, any
0: yeah, and it's okay. It's, okay. it's okay with me because it's of no harm to me yeah. to be blamed.
2: That's fine. Yeah, it? War fever ran high in the New England town to which we knew young officers from Plattsburgh were assigned, and we were flattered when the first citizens took us to their homes, making us feel heroic. Here was love, applause, war, moments sublime with intervals hilarious. I was part of life at last, and in the midst of the excitement, I discovered liquor. I forgot the strong warnings and the prejudices of my people concerning drink. In time, we sailed for over there. I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. We landed in England. I visited Winchester Cathedral. Much moved, I wandered outside. My attention was caught by a doggerel on an old tombstone. Here lies a Hampshire grenadier who caught his death drinking cold small beer. A good soldier is ne'er forgot whether he dieth by musket or by pot. Ominous warning, which I failed to heed. Twenty-two and a veteran of foreign wars, I went home at
1: last. It no. It's interesting that like my mom, my mom and dad were like, yeah, Ryan, go out and drink and do drugs. They're like, yeah, do it. Go out and drink and do drugs. And I never drank or did any drugs. But the parents were like, Johnny, don't ever drink or do drugs. They drink and do drugs. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Fascinating, right? Yeah.
2: I fancied myself a leader For had not the men of my battery given me a special token of appreciation My talent for leadership, I imagined Would place me at the head of vast enterprises Which I would manage with the utmost assurance I took a night law course And obtained employment as investigator for a surety company The drive for success was on I had proved to the world I was important My work took me about Wall Street And little by little I became interested in the market Many people lost money But some became very rich Why not I? I studied economics and business as well as law. Potential alcoholic that I was, I nearly failed my law course. At one of the finals, I was too drunk to think or write. Though my drinking was not yet continuous, it disturbed my wife. We had long talks when I would still her forebodings by telling her that men of genius conceive their best projects when drunk, that the most majestic constructions of philosophic thought were so derived. By the time I had completed the course, I knew the law was not for me. The inviting maelstrom of Wall Street had me in its grip. Business and financial leaders were my heroes. Out of this alloy of drink and speculation, I commenced to forge the weapon that would one day turn in its flight like a boomerang and all but cut me to ribbons. Living modestly, my wife and I saved $1,000. It went into certain securities, then cheap and rather unpopular. I rightly imagined that they would someday have a great rise. I failed to persuade my broker... it does.
1: No. Uh, What do you think about the... What is, it, what is the meaning of the the saying, like, for everything there's a season? And he does? Hmm. No?
2: Friends to send me out looking over factories and managements, but my wife and I decided to go anyway. I had developed a theory that most people lost money in stocks through ignorance of markets. I discovered many more reasons later on. We gave up our positions and off we roared on a motorcycle. The sidecar stuffed with tent, blankets, and a change of clothes, and three huge volumes... Of a financial reference service. Our friends thought a lunacy commission should be appointed. Perhaps they were right. I had had some success at speculation, so we had a little money, but we once worked on a farm for a month to avoid drawing on our small capital. That was the last honest manual labor on my part for many a day. We covered the whole eastern United States in a year. At the end of it, my reports to Wall Street procured me a position there and the use of a large expense account. The exercise of an option brought in more money, leaving us with a profit of several thousand dollars for that year. For the next few years, fortune threw money and applause my way. I had arrived. My and ideas were followed by many to the tune of paper millions. The great boom of the late 20s was seething and swelling. Drink was taking an important and exhilarating part in my life. There was loud talk in the generous places uptown. Everyone spent in thousands and chattered in millions. Scoffers could scoff and be damned. I made a host of fair-weathered friends. My drinking assumed more serious proportions, continuing all day and almost every night. The remonstrances of my friends culminated in a row, and I became a lone wolf. There were many unhappy scenes in our country's apartment there'd been no real infidelity for loyalty to my wife helped at times by extreme drunkenness kept me out of those scrapes. in 1929 i contracted golf fever we went at once to the country my wife to applaud while i started out to overtake walter hagen liquor caught up with me much faster than i came up behind walter i began to be jittery in the morning golf permitted drinking every day and every night it was fun to caroom around the exclusive course which had inspired such awe in me as a lad I acquired the impeccable coat of tan that one sees upon the well-to-do. The local banker watched me whirl fat checks in and out of his till with amused skepticism. Abruptly, in October 1929, hell broke loose on the New York Stock Exchange. After one of those days of inferno, I wobbled from a hotel bar to a brokerage office. It was 8 o'clock. Five hours after the market closed, the ticker still clattered. I was staring at an inch of the tape which bore the inscription XYZ32. It had been 52 that morning. I was finished. And so were many friends. The papers reported men jumping to death from the towers of high finance. That disgusted me. I would not jump. I went back to the bar. My friends had dropped several millions since 10 o'clock, so uh, tomorrow was another day. As I drank, the old fierce determination to win came back. Next morning, I telephoned a friend in Montreal. He had plenty of money left and thought I had better go to Canada. But the following spring, we were living in our accustomed style. I felt like Napoleon returning from Elba. No St. Helena for me. But drinking caught up with me again and my generous friend had to let me go. This time, we stayed broke. We went to live with my wife's parents. I found a job, then lost it as a result of a brawl with a taxi driver. Mercifully, no one could guess that I was to have no real employment for five years, or hardly draw a sober breath. My wife began to work in a department store, coming home exhausted to find me drunk. I became an unwelcome hanger-on at brokerage places. Liquor ceased to be a luxury it became a necessity. Bathtub gin, two bottles a day, and often three got to be routine. Sometimes a small deal would net a few hundred dollars, and I would pay my bills at the bars and delicatessens. This went on endlessly, and I began to waken very early in the morning, shaking violently. A tumblerful of gin followed by half a dozen bottles of beer would be required if I were to eat any breakfast. Nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation, and there were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope. Gradually, things got worse. The house was taken over by the mortgage holder, my mother-in-law died, my wife and father-in-law became ill. Then I got a promising business opportunity. Stocks were at the low point of 1932, and I had somehow formed a group to buy. I was to share generously in the profits. Then I went on a prodigious bender, and that chance vanished. I woke up. This had to be stopped. I saw I could not take so much as one drink. I was through forever. Before then, I had written lots of sweet promises, but my wife happily observed that this time I meant business, and so I did. Shortly afterward, I came home drunk. There had been no fight. Where had been my high resolve? I simply didn't know. It hadn't even come to mind. Someone had pushed a drink my way, and I had taken it. Was I crazy? I began to wonder, for such an appalling lack of it seemed near being just that. Renewing my resolve, I tried again. Some time passed, and confidence began to be replaced by cocksureness. I could laugh at the gin mills. Now I had what it takes. One day, I walked into a cafe to telephone. In no time, I was beating on the bar, asking myself how it happened. As the whiskey rose to my head, I told myself, I would manage better next time, but I might as well get good and drunk then. And I did. The remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. The courage to do battle was not there. My brain raced uncontrollably, and there was a terrible sense of impending calamity. I hardly dared cross the street lest I collapse and be run down by an early morning truck, for it was scarcely daylight. An all-night place supplied me with a dozen glasses of ale. My writhing nerves were stilled at last. The morning paper told me the market had gone to hell again. Well, so had I. The market would recover, but I wouldn't. That was a hard thought. Should I kill myself? No, not now. Then a mental fog settled down. Gin would fix that. So, two bottles and oblivion. The mind and body are marvelous mechanisms, for mine endured this agony two more years. Sometimes I stole from my wife's slender purse when the morning terror and madness were on me. Again, I swayed dizzily before an open window or the medicine cabinet where there was poison, cursing myself for a weakling. There were flights from city to country and back as my wife and i sought escape then came the night when the physical and mental torture was so hellish i feared i would burst through my window sash and all somehow i managed to drag my mattress to a lower floor lest i suddenly leap a doctor came with a heavy sedative next day found me drinking both gin and sedative this combination soon landed me on the rocks and people feared for my sanity so did i little or nothing from drinking and i was 40 pounds underweight My brother-in-law is a physician, and through his kindness and that of my mother, I was placed in a nationally known hospital for the mental and physical rehabilitation of alcoholics. Under the so-called.
1: So you hear how he said forty pounds underweight. You know, when I would study like all these books and stuff, there would be like an overwhelming number of fours and forties and stuff, even in like these books you would think it would even even apply, like just constantly to the point where it's it's almost like the Mandela effect or some sort of conspiracy type thing. Any thoughts? No. Well,
0: just second. So, what do you think about his report?
1: Uh, Seems like he's describing, you know, the perils that he went through, or something.
0: Well, see, see, this is this is what AA means by telling your story. Your story is always about the struggles that I have gone through and the problems. So it's always focused on yourself, telling about yourself, taking responsibility for everything that happened in your life. That's what they mean by telling your story.
1: Hmm. And it doesn't? And why is that important? No.
0: Well, see, it's important because then you're looking only at yourself. You're taking responsibility for yourself. You're not you're not uh, interpreting and blaming other people yeah, or but explaining about, why.
1: But like what about the, in some cases there is someone to blame. Like I remember when I was at the, the psych ward or whatever, there was a guy who was who was a cocaine user and, and I and I told my story about how my dad and everything. And then the cocaine user finally, he, he, he raised his hand and he was like, I never admitted this before, but I'm on cocaine. Like he was in there for something else, he was like, and I and I, now I'm gonna go see and I think I know why he said he said that I inspired him. He said it's because his dad wouldn't talk to him, and he said that it would, it would give him like a lot of pain, and his dad looked down upon him and stuff. And and he said that he took cocaine to like deal with the with the pain and stuff. And now, now he now you see so now he had the, the blame, he had the cause, and now it was gonna get him to seek help finally. Any thoughts? Yeah,
0: I, I'm sure that was helpful. I'm just telling you. That, that that's what AA means by telling your story. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that's their principle. Yeah, it
1: doesn't?
2: No? Being cleared. Hydrotherapy and mild exercise help much. The so other
1: thing that sometimes blaming does help, you know, because if, you, if you're not allowed to blame, uh, the thing they don't like about not allowed to blame is then that's a tool that the freaking people in power, the right-wingers use. Sometimes there's someone to blame. Sometimes there's something to blame. And you shouldn't have there's to. Always, have, you shouldn't have to have conditions where you're not allowed to say a certain things. You're not allowed to. No no, 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 You're not allowed to do it. You, and then that's power plays, power dynamics. Any thoughts? Ryan, just listen to
0: what I'm saying. There's always someone to blame. There's always, there's always someone you could blame. Always. Yeah, that- I, 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 you don't like this metaphor, but it's like playing basketball. Referees make bad calls. So there's always a, a, a bad call that you can blame the referee on. Always. You can't, you can't play a basketball game without having a bad call. It
1: probably could, but it
0: doesn't. But the, the NBA is trying to get rid of them, and they have these replays now, instant replays. So any time you think you get a bad call, you have a right to, to challenge it and... And ask for a video replay. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, doesn't.
0: No, but that's about enough for tonight. All right. Okay. Oh,